Welcome everybody to Dead Talk Live, and tonight we have writer-director Tori Jones, whose new movie is coming out September 13th, uh, called The Wicked Ones. It's a sequel to the 2017 The Wicked One. So today we're going to be breaking that down. Tori, thank you so much for being here with us. How are you doing tonight? Good. Thank you so much for uh, having me get on here and talk about this crazy horror film we did. It is crazy, but it is wildly entertaining, uh, bloody, gory. It's, uh, you know, the slasher films are making a comeback, and there's a lot of demand for them. Now, the notes I was given, it, it, it told me it's coming out September 13th, but it didn't tell me exactly where. Is it coming out on video on demand? Where exactly is it releasing? Uh, yeah, so the 13th of September will actually be your digital and on-demand stuff. And then uh, right now, actually, it's up for pre-order on like Amazon and Walmart and Best Buy for a special edition Blu-ray and DVD, which will release November the 8th. Nice, nice. So, uh, like we talked about, uh, this movie, The Wicked Ones, is a sequel to your 2017 The Wicked one at which point uh with the original did you know that you wanted to make a sequel and how long did it take you to get the people involved to make that sequel a reality so when we made the first wicked one um we had no idea that people would sort of resonate with the character and uh with the film because it was shot for literally no money mm. And when we had our world premiere, we had around 600 people show up. Um, and then from there, the film sold out its, its first pressing of all physical media on day one. Nice. So it was gone on all the retailers. And then uh, what really set it off is people started cosplaying as the character mm -hmm. and going to conventions as this character, which blew my mind. Because, again, this film was made for literally, you know, peanuts so um it was just surreal so that pretty much told us that we wanted to do another one and sort of take it in a, in a unique direction from the first which is what we did with the sequel yes you definitely did uh did you have the script and the idea written soon after even maybe even at the same time as the original or was it something that the story came to you after you saw the success of the first one. Yeah, the story actually, so that film was, we shot that in 2016 and then it was released in 17. And then we didn't actually start. I didn't have a script for this film until 2019. Okay. Which is when we shot the film and we shot it towards the end of 2019, I think August, September. And then of course the pandemic happened right at the beginning yeah. of 2020. So. so doing a sequel to a film that developed a very nice cult following, as the writer, did you feel an extra sense of responsibility to sort of one-up the original? Uh, was that an ed um, added extra pressure that you felt? Yeah, totally. We, we really wanted to uh, do something different. And... Uh, you know, the things that we wanted to do where we obviously we wanted to touch on how the events of that first film, you know, affected our survivors. Yeah. 
but we also wanted to touch on how the violence of that first film sort of inspired these copycats mm-hmm. to sort of carry on with the Wicked One's uh, mythos and his legacy. Um, so that was really the jumping off point for it. Didn't really have an idea for, you know, that at the beginning, and it just sort of developed over time. But it definitely wanted to up the ante on this film and definitely wanted to uh, do more than we could with the first just because of our budgetary limits that we had. What are the rules for horror film sequels? Definitely increase the body count. <laughs> yeah. no. uh, now, the film, you mentioned this, the film explores the trauma and the survivor's guilt from the characters in the, in the first film. Uh, how did you want that element to be used in the sequel? Yeah, so I really wanted to, in the first film, you know, we see that these characters are going to our lead character, Alex's, um, her family's uh, property to mm-hmm. sort of get away for a weekend yeah. and just, just chill. And obviously her, you know, her brother gets involved and he's got some issues and, and stuff like that. And so the reason they're all there is because of her mm-hmm. and they're all dead. So uh, with this, we wanted to say, you know, she has avoided going back here for 10 years. She has children and he just so happens to have a gig in that town. Yeah. So she goes back to the town with no intention of going back to her, her property where all of this terrible stuff mm-hmm. happened. But by the end of it, she literally has to go back there to sort of uh, save her life and save her kid's life and face this thing head on that has haunted her since since what happened in the original. And that leads me to my next question. Uh, going back, you know, a therapist would say confronting your past trauma is therapeutic. doesn't quite work out that way in the sequel. So do you think this just pushes them over the edge or do the events in this sequel actually uh help them confront the trauma and it was probably the only way they could get over it and fight back yeah yeah i i I think uh that that's probably the only way that she would have got over it was how it plays out at the end and i think by the end of it i think it's a very cathartic conclusion to uh, her arc of this story mm-hmm. and you know literally I don't want to spoil it for people that haven't seen it but she literally you know it, it comes down to her and the wicked one yeah. and and you know I think for her I think it's a very cathartic moment mm-hmm. and wraps up that arc nicely she takes the you know the way I would describe it is she takes her power back all right you know for 10 years this has been traumatizing her and she finally stands up to it. And I think it is, in a very weird way, it was probably the most therapeutic thing that could have happened to her. Now, there's this strong element of family that is the underlying theme of this film. How much of that did you want it to stand out? Just the, the sense of family and the support of family and so on. Yeah, I definitely wanted that to be a be a big thing, and and that sort of was a thing. We we toyed with that in the first film with her and her brother, and the fact that you know uh, 
they had some trauma due to their parents' passing away by accident. Mm-hmm. And so literally and figuratively, when they go to that property, uh, they're facing that trauma head on in the first film. And the Wicked One character is sort of a metaphor for all of these unresolved issues that literally they is figuratively and, and literally killing them. Uh, so it's sort of the same thing with this situation is they go back there and she honestly has, she doesn't want to go back there. She doesn't want to go back to where all of this stuff happened. She has no intention of facing off with this, with this issue. And she can't even anticipate that these copycats are even a thing that, that, you know, they get loose or whatever. But I think that it's sort of like fate and she had to, her fate is tied to the wicked one and her fate is tied to defending her family and her, she, because I think it's because her unwillingness to face that situation, her family, her kids, mainly her two teenagers, they end up in the, you right know, in the middle the of it. Yeah. 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 It seems like no matter what she did, this was going to have to be confronted with in one way or another. Now you yeah. co-wrote this uh, with uh, Nathan Thomas uh, Milliner. How did the co-writing process go? Did you, did both of you bring your own unique ideas to the story? Tell us how, how that worked out. Nathan is is a great writer, and I, I credit him because really the family dynamic and the wittiness and the the jokes about um, you know like the music and the yeah. BG. And the Phil Collins and all that's Nathan. So he really brought, I think, a heart to it. And, um, you know, Nathan has said publicly that the reason why that he wanted to be involved is because of the sort of the reaction to the first. So uh, and he's a super talented artist and filmmaker in his own right. So to have him involved with this uh, was was just uh, a truly awesome thing. And he, he really brought a lot to it. A lot of it is Nathan. Refresh my memory. In the first one, did you write the script by yourself or did you also have a a co-writer? On that one, I co-wrote that with a a good buddy of mine, a good writer. Uh, He's wrote actually a lot of my stuff with me is Cheyenne Gordon. And he actually plays the brother in the first movie. Oh, I did not know that. Now, the origins of the film is, of course, a serial killer, especially with the first one. Uh, What is it about serial killers and horror movie slashers uh that a lot of people find fascinating you know slasher movies there's a big demand now back for slasher movies you know going back to the 80s people want to see more of that like the the jason Voorhees, the michael myers the people in the mask that out there are slashing teenagers and in the woods um what was it for you that uh fascinates you about slasher films um i think my thing with slasher movies is is that that's sort of my favorite horror that i watch one because i grew up watching those films and two because it it could happen literally that like halloween you know is basically about a dude who's you know stalking babysitters on halloween that can happen it probably happens a lot more than we realize and um it's just the realistic nature of it. And it's, I think we go through stages where people want, oh, we want the paranormal stuff. Well, then we get tired of the paranormal stuff. Mm-hmm. Then we want, 
let's go back to the slashers and then we get tired of that and then we want to do like the torture porn movies again yeah. all like the saw movies and then we're like man we're over that i think it just comes in waves like yeah but for me slashers is i love slasher movies there's so many different things you can do with a slasher movie and it's just the real the realism i think of it that that's fun and and makes it feel authentic and the demand for slasher films i think are always going to be there what really kicked off the the paranormal thing was movies like the blair witch project in the late 90s and then paranormal activity and then the movie industry just took it and ran with it and they went in all sorts of directions now in real life serial killer stories are much more horrific than what we actually see on the screen. Uh, when it com- when it comes to you writing your slasher films, do you research any of the real life serial killers to I don't know maybe add some authentic element to it about what really happened in real life, or do you want to purely keep it on the fictional plane? Sometimes it's both. Uh, sometimes I'll look at you know, you'll, you'll research stuff like, I don't know, like interviews with, uh, like Gacy or interviews with, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, but honestly with this, with this character, you know, uh, it's almost like the reason why he's doing this, which we, we touched on in the first, but we kind of explain it a little more in this film. Uh, through like flashbacks and like weird trippy vision stuff is that this this guy is is under the influence of something otherworldly yeah and And, yeah so i don't mean to cut you off that actually leads me to my next question there is a very strong religious slash supernatural connection in this film what would you say is the deeper connection between the religious symbolism and the serial killers that makes the two seem go, you know, go hand in hand with each other. I think that, uh, I have honestly, I have a little bit of a religious background in some aspects. And I think that, you know, you always hear of people being under the influence of something that, you know, is not, of this world when they yeah. commit certain things or, you know, the devil made me do it. Exactly. Uh, and I think with this film, what I wanted to say was that this is a, this is someone who is under the influence of this, this thing, this, and, and we don't really specify, is it a demon? Is it like a, some sort of a native American spirit? Because it's a, it's a bird, it's a crow creature. Yeah. Right. Uh, so we don't really explain what it is just that, you know, he found this rock with this drawing or, or, or mm-hmm. carving into it on his property, and that sort of started everything that happens. It sort of drove him mad in a way, yeah. and that's where the supernatural element, depending on the viewers, their takeaway could be that there's something mystical about this rock that drove him over the edge. Uh, when you got down to writing the second script, did you already have the money that you needed to make it in place or did you write the script and then start pitching it to people to try to raise the funds? Uh, it was kind of, it was kind of a little bit of both. We had people come on board, uh, a couple of private investors that came on board and, 
and donated to the film or invested in the film. And then we did an Indiegogo uh, to raise what, what we felt we needed uh, to do this film. And honestly, this film was made for more money than the first, but it still wasn't made for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like more recent work that I've done that I started getting into like more money for my films as, as each film has went on, I've just, it's just grown exponentially that way. But this film was still made for relatively a small amount of money. Uh, but yeah, it was a combination of both. It was, it was the Indiegogo thing and then it was uh, private investors. Yeah, I say this a lot, you know, yeah, of course money is very important, but if you've got the good story and you've got good actors, you can really make a great movie for not a lot of money. And it's been done. It's been done so many times. And then you have these mega million dollar movies that end up flopping because the core elements, good story, uh, good acting, directing is just missing. Uh, Compared to writing, you know, being a director, how much do you love directing, uh, you know, in comparison to writing? Um, with independent film and with me personally, I wear a lot of hats. So as does every other independent filmmaker. Yeah. 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 I wish that I could just sometimes just focus on directing, but it's literally like, I'm trying to get direction. I'm trying to look over here, dealing with this. Oh, we need this over. So I'm stretched thin, but I honestly, the thing about directing that I really love is just being able to find those little moments mm-hmm. in an actor's performance, little little things that they do, whether it be an expression or whether it be like a just little nuances that they do that you're like, oh, that that feels real. Yeah. That feels good. And I love that part of the collaboration process with actors. Um, I always tell actors, make say this to where it feels natural to you. Yeah. What's on the what's on the page is not set in stone. If it feels unnatural to you, let's find something yeah. that gets the point across naturally for you. It doesn't have to be verbatim, word for word. And I, I that's what I love about directing is just finding the off the authentic uh, performance with an actor. Have you ever directed anything that you did not write? Hmm. No. so let's play sort of a hypothetical here you have somebody presents you a script they want you to direct it have you ever thought man this is something i've never done i've never directed somebody else's writing how how do you think you would uh approach that and also the opposite of that would you feel comfortable having somebody else direct what you wrote uh i i definitely would would feel comfortable with someone directing something that I wrote. And honestly, that's something that we're working on right now with my company is we want to start every year. We've done a film a year. Yeah. And right now we're trying to say, we want to do, we want to get to a point to do two films a year, one that I direct and one that I, that the company strictly produces and someone else directs. Um, so that's what we're working on that right now. And, and I'm all for that because I kind of wish that I had that starting out. I wish that I had someone to say, hey, we're going to take care of all this stuff so that you don't have to do everything yourself. Yeah. To focus on directing. 
Um, maybe I'll write it. Maybe they'll write it. Maybe it'll be a combination. Maybe neither of us will write it. It'll be someone else. Uh, but and as far as someone coming to me and saying, hey, I wrote this, will you direct it? I'm interested in that for sure. And, and I, I have people that are saying, we're going to send you this. I guess my thing is, is it would have to be something that I know could keep me invested. Yes. For a feature film. You got to believe in it. Yeah. Yeah. And if I got something and it was, I had a, I had a friend uh, named Spencer and she sent me this idea that was really good. And I really like it. And I, and I think she's working on writing it out in a uh, feature form, but it's called, uh, I don't want to misquote. Cause I'll get screamed. Yeah. 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 But it's, but it's, it's a really cool idea. And, uh, she, uh, I told her, I was like, this is something that I would honestly, like I could get behind. So stuff like that. It's just, I would have to be, I would have to be able to be fully invested in it. And that makes, and that makes total sense when you are, you know, shooting and directing, once you've casted, are you the, would you say you're the kind of director that, okay, you cast it, and some people say casting is 70 to 80% of directing. You like Mm -hmm. to collaborate with the actors, but you give them their space. And like you mentioned earlier, if if a line, if a scene doesn't feel natural with them, you are completely open to working with the actors to draw out the best performance you possibly can get. Yeah, yeah, and and that's something that... uh... As long, like I said, as long as they're getting the point across of the scene, mm-hmm. then I, I allow them room to improvise and to play around with it. That's, yeah. uh, I think the worst thing you can do is say, "No, this is how it is. This is how it's got to be." And if you don't say this, it's not going to work. That's nonsense. Yeah. And if it, every actor is different, what works for one actor doesn't necessarily work for every actor. Absolutely agree. Uh, Tori, I want to thank you so much for coming on here. Again, for everybody, the movie's called Wicked Ones. It's coming out on On Demand uh, Tuesday, September 13th. It's a sequel to the 2017 The Wicked One. Uh, It has a nice cult following. I'm sure everyone's going to come back and watch the second. And I'm sure you're going to build up a new set of fans with this one as well. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share before we go? No, just uh, if, if you want, just follow us on uh, Instagram and Facebook. I'm on there at official Tory Jones. And then uh, for all of our films and what we're working on and things we have coming up, you can just go to jonestownfilms.com and, and check that out and see all of our, our current work that we're working on right now. Absolutely. And like I said, it, If you are a horror slasher fan, this movie is not going to disappoint you. There's uh, uh, a lot of gory, bloody scenes. There's a good story behind it. So make sure to check out Wicked Ones. It was directed by our guest here, Tori. Written and directed by our guest here, Tori Jones. Thank you again, Tori. I want to thank our audience, those who are tuning in live, and those who will be watching this later on. On behalf of Tory Jones and myself, stay safe and stay walking, everybody. Good night.